0: Hey, Groovers. This is Tim just letting you know that Kurt and I launched a new podcast called Weekly Grooves. It's different from Behavioral Grooves in that we rely on articles we find interesting in the news that week, rather than focusing on important researchers or applied behavioral scientists, and we discuss those articles through a behavioral lens. Where Behavioral Grooves is a long-form interview, Weekly Grooves is almost always under 15 minutes, and there are no interviews. That means you're stuck with just Kurt and me, and you can take that with however many grains of salt necessary. What you're going to hear in this episode is an unedited Weekly Grooves podcast on why we're not likely to have vivid memories from our days during the pandemic. So if you like it, please subscribe to this free Weekly Grooves podcast from any of your favorite podcasting services. You can find Weekly Grooves on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and tons of other platforms. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening.
1: Welcome to Weekly Grooves, my name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. Each week, Weekly Grooves picks a current news topic and explores it through a behavioral science lens. We dig in to help you understand the psychology behind the headline. The specific topic may be current, but the insights are timeless. I like that. I, I (laughs) I like that a lot. That's great. Who wrote that? Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Which might be why you like it. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe it is. Okay, Tim. So what is the topic that we're going to be grooving on for this week? Shayla Love wrote an article for Vice
0: titled, You'll Probably Forget What It Was Like to Live Through a Pandemic, which I thought would be a great jumping off point for how we remember this time, but also on memory in general.
1: I like that as well. Hmm. So, we are going to explore some of the facets of memory, particularly as it relates to memories that get shaped during a historically significant time. Yes. And in this article, Shayla points out that our specific memory of this
0: time, even with all its heightened emotions and significance, will eventually become, as she calls, a blur. Like, to quote from the article, she says, those on the front lines, like healthcare workers, will remember it differently. They'll witness the toll on human life firsthand and emotions like grief, fear, and anxiety will heighten their memories. But for those whose lives remain unscathed, who have the privilege of waiting out the weeks without much daily variety, this stretched out historical event isn't conducive to creating sharp, defined memories. Despite having conscious
1: awareness of each moment now, a lot of it will slip away." Yes, a lot of it will slip away. So I think this is going to be really interesting and hopefully memorable for all of our listeners. <laughs> hopefully, yes. <Yeah. laughs> okay, uh, that was that was pretty bad. Uh, but are you ready to groove? <laughs> it was bad, and I think I am ready to groove at that. All right. So, Tim, what is the first thing uh, about this that is really stands out?
0: Memory is malleable. It's just, it's not a videotaped computer recording of life. It is uh, a malleable, changing thing. And cognitive psychologist Ulrich Neisser really did a great job of exploring this with the Challenger explosion. He was able to do this fabulous experiment where two days after the Challenger exploded, he went in and recorded their experiences and had them say, what do you remember just two days later? And then came back to them two years later and asked them to recount their specific memories. And then he could compare the two. But most importantly, for, for me, the most important part of this experiment was how confident are you in your in your memory?
1: And guess what? People didn't do very well. No, on average, they scored less than three on a scale of seven in their memory, and a quarter of them even scored zero. So yeah. they couldn't remember a lot of things about their everyday life, right? What was going on, who they were with, what was, uh, you know, the where they were, various different things when this happened. and. Yeah, they were really confident about their answers. They were, yeah, I remember exactly because it was really vivid in their mind. But that's because, as you said, vi- our memory isn't a video recording. It is really this thing that gets reconstructed all of the time. Yeah, yeah. Plus, we're not
0: very good at remembering just mundane things. Right. It's much easier for us to remember novelty, vividness sticks out. You know, this is, these are important things that trial lawyers have figured out, you know, years ago, right? That when they're, when they're doing a trial, it's important to have vividness in their descriptions so that things stick. Otherwise, yeah. The mundane facts, the numbers, the times, the you know uh, these kind of things really just add to the mundane and not to vividness.
1: Yeah, and the and the quarantine, uh, the the life that we're living through for the vast majority of us right now is pretty mundane. There's not a lot of variety. There's not a lot of really vivid things that stand out, maybe some feelings and other pieces, but your day-to-day activities are pretty mundane. So, they're probably going to not last the test of time from a memory perspective. Now, there's another aspect of this, which is in order for a memory to actually be a memory, it needs to be encoded in our brain. And mm-hmm. and so to your point, it needs to stick out. We need to actually pay attention to it. We need to notice it in order to be encoded in short term and then into long-term memory. Yeah. So uh, I you know, I know I watched a bunch of TV shows last week, um, which at the point were actually encoded into my short-term memory, but obviously they did not pay have enough to be encoded into my long-term memory or not really vividly. And so they're hard to remember. having what what did you? eat for lunch two months ago on a specific day most people can't remember that because it's too mundane tuna Um, salad i can tell you it was tuna salad tuna salad now if it was a special occasion (laughs) if it was going out and and being with uh, a long friend who you haven't seen in years and you go and meet lunch you can maybe remember that because it's connected to uh, a more vivid powerful emotive element um One other piece that I think is really important in this is that we reconstruct our memory from bits and pieces and we fill in those holes. So for instance, going back to the memory with that long lost friend of the lunch, right? And you remember that memory and maybe you remember what you ate, but you don't remember uh, what you ate as a plate of food you know, floating in, in midair, you have to put that into a context. Right. And so you right. may not actually remember the table, but you have this idea of what a restaurant table looks like. So that plate of food gets put on a potentially a, a table that may not be the real table that was there. The silverware that you use might not be the actual silverware, but a representation of that silverware because you have to fill in those holes right. with something And then that becomes your memory. And over time, which I think one of the things that you really think about memory is that you're not remembering the actual event. You're remembering the memory of that actual event. Yeah, which I think is just
0: fascinating that that's the way that our memory works. That's the actual neuroscience that that drives and supports memory at at all is not the remembering of the uh, of the initial event it is just this recalculation of the last time that we remembered it uh and and sometimes it's re- it's really good sometimes you know there's there's real clarity that does link to the original experience but even when it's not,
1: we still have a high degree of confidence that what we're remembering is the actual event. Yeah. And, and again, remember when I, I talked about, you know, we remember bits and pieces and then we fill in. And so if you're remembering a memory and maybe you filled in a piece around the table in that example I used before, maybe when you remember that memory, what you're actually remembering now is the table. Right. And so the table is the part that is the bit and piece that you remember and now you're starting to fill in other aspects of it. And so yeah. that's how memories are, ma- are are malleable. And and this gets really highlighted with this idea of of implanting false memories or beliefs in into people. And right. there's some really cool research on that. And it's it's easier to do than most people think. So Julie Shaw, a uh, researcher and psychologist, uh, and they published a study on false memories back in 2015. And they reported that about 70% of the volunteers that they had could, made, could be made to recall false memories of having committed a crime as preteens. Now yeah. they got these people's pair to work with them, but still you can implant some false memories by just, you know, having the way that you, you talk about memory and different pieces of it. So, we know that memory is very, very malleable. Malleable so much that we can actually get ourselves or other people to think that they committed a crime when in fact they have not.
0: Right, right. Uh, you know, another important thing that we should talk about is how the power of emotions shape what we remember.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big piece from this article as well as others, right? Powerful emotions, I'm quoting from the article, powerful emotions, both happy and sad, influence whether we remember something or not. This means each individual has specific and unique emotional instances that stand out. Yeah, well, that also means that that the emotions can actually distort the
0: the the memory, right? That they because we're not going to remember every every detail. And I, and I, uh, Daniela Schiller did some great work uh, at Mount Sinai in New York City uh, on this. But um, when she was talking about, you know, if you see someone holding a gun, you'll remember the gun in exquisite detail, but you might not have any idea what color the building was, or what you were wearing, or
1: what anyone else was wearing. There's a whole bunch of things that we're just going to leave out. Right. That emotion tends to um, f- really focus us in on certain things. And so, again, yeah. in this time of pandemic, if you're on the front line, you'll probably have some really vivid memories of patients and what's going on and some of the, the the highly stressful or highly joyful maybe when a patient recovers and they get to go home or whatever that would be. For the rest of us, uh, we don't have those very emotional things. And if we do, again, that focus around that will be very specific to that and maybe shaped or distorted by that memory.
0: Yeah. You know, as a thought experiment, I thought Danny Kahneman teed up memory in a really great way when he talked about coming back from from a, a two-week trip to Antarctica with his wife and or a week-long trip. And he said, so there were you know, hours and hours and hours of being awake on the ship, getting to Antarctica, being on it, coming off, all this kind of thing. And he said, he said, if I were to try to tell you everything that I remember from that week long trip, I might be able to talk for an hour or two hours, maybe. Yeah. But that's a very small condensation of the, of the total trip. If you could remember everything, then you would
1: probably talk for seven days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It would be a, a, a second by second reiteration of everything you've gone through. But that's not how memory works. Yeah, and 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 what's really interesting there is we we think we capture everything yeah. again and we don't. And so in, in times like this, we will remember bits and pieces of our day-to-day experience. But in the end, a lot of them will become a blur. They will, they will merge. You know, some key highlights might stick out, um, particularly those ones that get repeated and told over and over again. So, again, yeah. going back to maybe the Danny Kahneman story, when he recites that to other people, when he talks about that, he talks about probably certain moments within that trip. Exactly. Those are the pieces that he talks about and probably talks about those over and over and over. And so they get reinforced. The neural pathways to those memories get stronger. The yeah. the ones that don't get reinforced don't get stronger and, and at, at some point may actually just disappear. And I think that's part of that losing that memory as well is we tend to bring in those, those pieces that we talk about and we – reflect back upon, even if we don't talk about them, we reflect back upon certain times and moments and we don't reflect back on those other pieces. Okay, Kurt. So if we want to remember what it was like during the crisis,
0: what should we do to improve our memory at this time?
1: Well, first we need to determine if if we want to remember anything about this or not, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, fair th- th- enough. I mean I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but there's a there's a really part about this. There's an evolutionary defense mechanism for why we don't remember everything, and particularly some of the negative elements of of our lives. We we discount those in our memory pretty, pretty well. So so pick out what you want to remember and then different things about that. One way that you can help in that memory is to write a daily, in a daily journal. Right. Record okay. these moments. Write down what happened after the Challenger exploded and and have that. I remember living through that. I have a memory of it. Do is it real or not real? I have no idea. I think it is. <laughs> but if I had a journal of that time, I could go back to that journal and right. reference that journal and go, oh, yeah. Wait, I remember I wasn't actually, you know, in class. I was in my dorm room when it happened, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you could take pictures. You could actually
0: just take pictures uh, as a memory. It's great great to have that visual cue, which brings in a lot of context, doesn't fill in the whole story, but it actually fills in some of the context for you.
1: Right. I mean, think about if you took a picture of that uh, with your friend eating that dinner or that lunch, right, then Mm -hmm. you would have an actual picture of the dinner table and of the place, uh, the silverware and different things. And so you can go back and that will then be reinforced because you've seen it more and more. Uh, And visual cues really do help memory. I think the other piece of this is the things that you want to remember, pay deep attention to those things that you think are important make them emotionally salient. Yeah. Uh, so we yeah. often go through life just coasting, not really focusing, not paying attention. So, but if you really focus and concentrate on things, I think that's important. And I'll, I'll refer to the story. So my wife, Erin and I, when we got married, right? The big, big, highly emotional celebration, all of these things. And again, I can remember a lot because we have pictures of that time and other things, but there's a moment that sticks out. And it's this moment where Aaron and I just stood off to the side and we we both said, you know, just visualize this in our head. Now, I know I can't visualize things very good in my head because I have aphantasia, but that's a whole separate side. But, but you know, lock this into our memory, lock this moment into Our memory. And it is one of those pieces. Both Aaron and myself, when we talk about our wedding, that is part of what we remember. And we remember it, I think, to the most part, pretty well. Cool. That's very cool. Okay. Shall we recap? Yeah.
0: Let's recap. Okay, so we're not good at remembering. And although we're living through this unprecedented times that in five or 10 years, much of this is just going to be a blur. So research from other historical moments from the Holocaust to the Challenger explosion, 9-11, they all confirm that we will just not remember as much as we think we should about
1: this time. Part of this is because memories are malleable. That memory is not like a video recorder. Each time we remember something, we reconstruct that memory from bits and parts and are filling in the blank places to make it cohesive. Over time, if memories are not often repeated or deeply encoded, i.e. highly emotional, they can be forgotten. And emotions shape our memories. Highly
0: emotive experiences or just remembered more. However, they may lead us
1: to focus on one aspect of the experience and possibly disregard the rest. Finally, if you want to remember this time more fully and completely, you can do some things to help. First, keep a journal or some log of this time, writing it down and saving it for posterity so you can refer back to it later. Second, take pictures and or videos of this. Visual cues really help us remember. Third, focus on those things you want to remember. Really concentrate on the participants particular aspect of whether that is a feeling a specific moment a particular detail and by focusing attention you deepen the encoding on that that goes into your brain
0: that wraps up this week's groove and we appreciate you listening and hope that you enjoyed this and found it useful if you did like it please share it with a friend and leave us a review we so appreciate you listening so go out and have a great week